Jesus, you alone are worthy of our praise and our honor and our devotion. And we say, Father, thank you for that man at your right hand. Thank you for his intercession. Thank you for his death, his burial, his resurrection. Thank you for the promise of the second coming and the restoration of all things. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you so much for your grace. Lord, we look to your cross tonight. We look to your cross. We thank you for the mercy that you showed us on the cross. We deserve nothing but the lake of fire, and yet you sent your Son to pluck us like brands from the fire, and we give you thanks, O God. We thank you, King of kings and Lord of lords. We invite you tonight, Holy Spirit, to come and exalt the cross, to exalt Jesus, to bring praise to Him, to turn our gaze and our attention to the Son of God, in Jesus' name, amen. water bottle here. Ready to drink. Alright. Let's start with the question. Who killed Jesus? This is good. This is good. It's not a rhetorical question. We're already getting some feedback. Who killed Jesus? Adam. Adam? All of us? Okay. No one killed him, he gave up his life. Okay, no one killed him, he gave up his life. Other thoughts? We all did. We heard God. We all did? Okay, who's included in we all? Every human. Okay, Pharisees? The Father. So God, the Father killed Jesus. Who else killed Jesus? The Romans. The Jews. So we got Jew and Gentile. It wasn't just the Jews. The Gentiles too. What's that? The enemy. The enemy. Okay. Satan and the fallen powers of principalities. So, I. what's that? God. So we've got God the Father crucified Jesus. Jesus allowed himself to be crucified. No one lays down, I, no one takes my life, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have this command from my Father. We have the powers, Satan, led by Satan, killed Jesus. Jews killed Jesus, and Gentiles killed Jesus. That's a lot. Anybody can figure all of that out? And that, That's a lot happening at once, isn't it? Now, ultimately, God the Father sits enthroned above the heavens and the earth. So none of that could have happened without his consent. Now, let's turn our attention to the why and the thought processes behind why these different participants in the cross played their part. Let's talk about Satan and the fallen powers and principalities of rebellion against God. What was motivating them in their part? Pride. Pride. Okay. Pride and utter rebellion against God. What were some of the thought processes driving their actions, would you guess? That in connection to the pride and the motive. They couldn't trust him. What's that? They couldn't trust him. Okay. I can't trust him. Okay. Hatred for man. Hatred for God. Get him out of the picture. Good. Desire for power. So, pride, self-exaltation. What else? Desire to be like God. Desire to be like God. Desire to replace him. Is that what you said? Okay. Good. Ignorance of who God is. Ignorance of who God is. Desire to keep things the same. How many of you like that idea? Creation being in the same situation that it's in now. It's a horrible thought, isn't it? Okay, let's talk about uh, what was driving men. What was driving the Pharisees? 
Keeping the status quo. Unpack that for me. Why did, Why would they want to keep the status quo? What's in it for them? Keep their power. Okay. Praise of man. Don't lose face. What else? Self-righteousness. Envy. Okay. They don't have to admit that they have it all together. Fear. Fear of what? Fear of brokenness. Okay. Okay. Fear of a loss of control. Of control. Lack of humility. Lack of humility. Why do you think they would want to hold on to control? We're talking about that. I know, but was it like a power struggle with the Romans? So, power struggle with the Romans, possibly fear of what the Romans might do. Others? Fear of judgment? Didn't want to be wrong. What's what's that called? Perfectionism. Pride. Okay. Ignorance. Okay. Denial. What about uh, the Romans? Pontius Pilate didn't want to crucify, did he? But he did it anyway. Why? Peer pressure. Peer pressure. People pleaser. The fear of man. The praise of man. Fear of Caesar. Fear of Caesar. What's that called? What's another way of saying that? Self what? Preservation. Okay. So, uh, what about the Roman soldiers? What's going on with them? Okay. 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 Embracing evil. Embracing evil. Just sadistic evil of being able to whip someone. Okay. Going about their daily lives thinking they're justified. That it's okay. 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 What about what about the father? What was going on in his heart? Love. Love. Long suffering. Long suffering. Long suffering with who? Us. With us. <laughs> with Pilate. Justice. Justice. Holiness. Pain, desire to reconcile the world to himself. Holiness. Mercy. Justice, grace. What's that? Wrath against. Okay. Wrath against the sin, our sin on Jesus. Okay. Okay. Redeem. Why would he want to redeem us? What's going on in his heart? He created us, loves us. Where is beloved? He wants to keep us around. He made the earth for us. He made the earth for us. Made in his image. I like this one. I like this guy a lot better than the first two. <laughs> what about Jesus? He laid his own life down. What was going on in his heart? Bride, joy, passion, faithfulness, obedience. Obedience, loving sacrifice. Fear. Fear, okay. Anticipation. Anticipation. You guys are good teachers. I don't even need to be up here. For the joy set before him. For the joy set before him. Do you think that, that Jesus knew there would be a group of people here impacted by the things motivating his heart on the cross? Yeah. You think that provided some motivation for him? So let's take these two categories. We're gonna we're gonna group the devil and men in one category. And we're gonna group the father and the son in the other category. Okay? Sound like a good plan? Okay. In this category. The devil and men. Pride. And, yes. The generic men. Men and women. Human beings. Devil and human beings. 
the fallen powers and principalities working with the, the evil one. We've got ambition, pride, self-exaltation, greed, power, all of these kinds of things, right? We're going to call that the wisdom of the devil. Love, humility on this side, self-sacrifice, complete interest in the other, humility, meekness, all those kinds of things, love. We're going to call that the wisdom of God. Sound good? Let's go to James 3. James 3, beginning in verse 13. My, uh, I have a little header above these verses. It says, two kinds of wisdom. Verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? So here's the question that the Apostle James poses to us. Let him show it by his good life. So if we're looking at wisdom and understanding, something has to be, there has to be evidence of it. By deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. That if we're going to talk about God's definition of wisdom, we need to start with humility. Verse 14, But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it, or deny the truth. Bitter envy. The devil envying the Father's throne. Selfish ambition. Wanting the status that only Jesus deserves. Such wisdom, so-called wisdom, does not come from above, from the heavens, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. That's why we're calling it wisdom of the devil. Verse 16, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Note when you read the book of Acts next time, how many times Luke says the Pharisees persecuted the apostles because they were jealous, because they were envious. Envy, selfish ambition, which leads to disorder and every evil practice. Verse 17, but the wisdom that comes from above, from the heavens, from God Himself, is first of all pure. Jesus, when He went to the cross, purity of motivation towards us. Then peace-loving, considerate. He didn't consider Himself. He was considering us. He was considering the Father and the Father's will. Submissive, O Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. But not my will, but yours be done. Submissive. The wisdom of God on the cross. Full of mercy. Father, they deserve the lake of fire. I don't want them there. So put it on me instead. That they, when they look at my cross, there'll be mercy for them. Full of mercy. Good fruit. Impartial. The Jews are killing me. The Gentiles are killing me. I'm going to the cross for both because my Father wants an inheritance yes. from all the nations. Yes. One new man. Yes. Impartiality and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Two kinds of wisdom. The wisdom of man. The wisdom of the devil. The wisdom of the Father and the wisdom of the Son. The wisdom of man, the wisdom of the devil, leads to the lake of fire. The wisdom of God, the wisdom of the Son, leads to an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. It's our choice. 
Let's go to the book of 1 Corinthians. We're not going to get through the whole book of Corinthians. <laughs> but we'll try. No, just kidding. Oh, Father of glory. We ask you now for grace to be like Job. That we would be counted blameless and upright before you. That we would fear you, O oh God. And that we would shun evil. That Lord Jesus, when the enemy comes with his lies and his perversions and his condemnations and his accusations, we would look to your throne, O oh God, and we would say, Yahweh, Jehovah is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? That Father, when the enemy comes in like a flood against us, that we would look past his lies and accusations for the joy set before us, O oh God, tonight. We ask You, God, for grace to embrace the wisdom of God Most High and to forsake and to hate the wisdom of man in Jesus' name. 1 Corinthians. Let's just begin reading and uh, see what the Lord does. 1 Corinthians chapter, beginning in chapter 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes, verse 2, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, I always thank God for you because of His grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in Him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking, in all your knowledge. And as we learn later in the chapter, in, in uh, later chapters, they've been enriched in the gifts of the Spirit, haven't they? Yeah. Chapter 12 through 14. They've been enriched in their understanding. Paul himself has spent much time with them, working through the Scriptures with them. They've been enriched in many ways. Verse 6, because of our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. And what he means by that is when he came, God confirmed the message with power, and there's lasting fruit and evidence of that in the way the Spirit is manifest and working in their midst, even in his absence. Okay? The testimony of the Gospel was confirmed with the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 7, Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift. So he's talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Because the message came with power. As you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Verse 8. He, referring to the Holy Spirit who is enriching them, will keep you strong to the end. So now we're getting insight into the end game on Jesus' heart. So that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. That here, them being enriched in every way in all knowledge... There is a very important end game that Jesus has in mind. It's called, there is a man coming back in power and great glory. He searches the minds. He examines the hearts. We're going to give an account of every motive. Every degree to which our hearts are in agreement with the wisdom of the devil. He is going to ask us about it. And the question he's going to ask us. Are you, are you living the kind of life that I call blameless? Are you living the kind of life that my Father says, I want that person in the kingdom of my Son? He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus. God, who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, I am the vine, Jesus says. You are the branches. If a man remains in me, he will what? He'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. nothing. It's the same idea here. God has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, so that you'll bear fruit called blamelessness on the day that you stand before Him. 
God is faithful. He's faithful to what? To present you blameless. Verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you, and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from uh, Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Paulus. Another, I follow Cephas. Another, I follow Mike Bickle. I follow this pastor. I go to this conference. So on and so forth, exactly. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? Am I making disciples of Paul? Am I making disciples of so-and-so? Or are we making disciples of Jesus the Messiah? This is a huge issue here, and Paul is addressing this. And we're going to see what's driving these divisions in a minute. What's motivating them. It's the wisdom of the devil. And Paul is addressing this issue. Verse 14. I am thankful that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that you were baptized into into my name. How many of you today would report, I am thankful that I did not baptize people. (laughs) We're all reporting, I baptized thousands and thousands and thousands so that we can increase our budget and get men to subscribe to our ministry and newsletter. Paul is saying, I want to make disciples of Jesus, so I'm glad I didn't baptize because I know that you are exalting baptizers. Verse 16. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. I don't even remember. Didn't have enough coffee that morning. Verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize. He didn't send me to boast in the flesh of men. He sent me to proclaim Christ crucified. Not He sent me to preach the gospel. Not with words of human wisdom. Lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. The wisdom of Christ. The wisdom of man. The cross embodying the wisdom of God. These things that we love embodying the wisdom of man and the devil. Verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Because I've come to the cross and I recognize that there is not a single thing that men call sin in this age that I am not capable of apart from the mercy and long-suffering of God. Do you understand that? Do you realize that apart from the grace of Christ Jesus our Lord, you would be flying airplanes. I would be flying airplanes into the Twin Towers in New York. Do you recognize that? Jesus died to address those kinds of issues. That's the reality in our hearts. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is the power of God to crucify the lust of the flesh. It is the power of God that when that temptation comes and my finger wants to click, no, 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 I agree with the wisdom of God, Christ crucified. No, I will not click that button. It's the power of God for the salvation of those who are being saved, of those who will inherit a kingdom that will crush every other wicked kingdom. Guys, it is the power of God to forsake greed. It is the power of God to forsake anger and rage and the murder that's in us apart from the cross of Jesus. It is the power of God for salvation. But for those who love murder, but for those who love slander and gossip, it is foolishness because slander and gossip is the way to the top, isn't it? Coming in with intrigue, those little 
those little subconscious ways we promote ourselves, that's the way to the top. That's the way to, to, to uh, a promotion in our company or, or whatever it is, isn't it? It's foolishness when we, embrace that, when we embrace that kind of wisdom. But God says, verse 19, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? How many of you are in college? Be there as people who embody the cross of Christ Jesus. That's all I'm going to say. Where is the wise man? Where is Plato? Where is Aristotle? <laughs> Very high probability. Unless there was a you know, deathbed conversion experience of some sort that we don't know about. Where is the wise man? Where are the footnotes? Where are the footnotes? Where are the... I've written my 20 books. I'm going to write this article to impress my colleagues. Where is the skull? I want to, I want to impress you with how awesome I am. Where is the scholar of this age? Where is the philosopher of this age? The man with riches. I've got billions of dollars at my disposal. I have real power. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of the sage? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know Him. We cannot know God through the wisdom of the devil and the wisdom of man. We must approach Him on His terms. God was pleased. It delighted Him to overthrow the wisdom of man through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Verse 22, Jews demand miraculous signs. Greeks look for wisdom. Greeks look, how does it say it in Acts? They did nothing but sit around all day talking about the latest ideas. Greeks look for wisdom. Verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. You guys, what he's saying there is, you guys were nobodies in the world's eyes, but God actually cares about you. Verse 27, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong the lowly things of this world and the despised things, the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before Him. God is strategically administrating His plans and purposes in this age to give human beings no room for boasting. Let not the wise man boast in his riches. Let not the, wise, let not the mighty man boast in his strength. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast about this, that he understands and knows me. Do they boast in who I am? I think that's Jeremiah 9. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. He's quoting from Jeremiah 9 there. Chapter 2. When I came to you, brothers... I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. I didn't come with my arguments. I didn't come with my footnotes. I didn't come 
with all of my PhDs and my masters and my bachelors and my this and my that. I came to you in the wisdom of Christ crucified, for I resolved, I resolved to know nothing, nothing except Christ and Him crucified. While I was with you, except Jesus and Him crucified, I came to you in weakness and fear and much trembling because the God of the cross searches my motives. He knows why I'm in your midst. He knows if I'm going to use greed and flattery. He knows if I'm going to use flattery as a cover-up for greed, if I'm coming into your midst as a sheep among wolves. He knows if I'm coming as a sheep Wolf in sheep's clothing. He knows if I'm coming into your midst and giving you all of these things so that I can get your money. He knows my heart. I'm trembling before Him. Will He count me as a faithful minister of the Gospel? Will I be one who peddles the Word of God for profit? Do you hear what I'm saying? That's why He's trembling. He says in 1 Thessalonians 1 that He says, we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. He doesn't entrust the gospel of the cross to people who don't live by the cross, who don't breathe by the cross, whose hearts aren't constantly crucified, sifted, purged by the cross. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling because He knew He was going to give an account for the way He engaged Jesus' flock. Because it's Jesus' flock. Because Paul doesn't want to draw men after himself. You're not a disciple of Paul or Apollos. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Faith in what? Faith in the day of Messiah Jesus when He comes from the sky, in glory, in power, to resurrect His people bodily from the grave with power, to crush every wicked kingdom and every wicked king on the earth. When He comes back, He is not going to establish His kingdom with a bunch of talky, 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 talky footnotes. He's coming with power. And so those who claim to represent Messiah Jesus Himself, they come when they're sent genuinely by Him with power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's wisdom in a mystery. A wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. When I compare this passage to Ephesians chapter 2 and chapter 3, where he's talking about the wisdom of the cross being put on display before the powers and the rulers, he's talking there specifically about powers and principalities. I believe he's talking about the same thing here. And the question is, none of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Something in their mind was driving them to think that if we kill this man, if we kill this man, we've won. We've won. There's a lot of Old Testament promises, aren't there, about a seed. What would the seed of the woman come and do? Crush the serpent's head. They thought that they came and crushed the seed. No. The very thing that they were doing in their minds to kill the promises of God, God kept hidden in His own heart and says, No! Surprise! That was the very thing that I'm doing to fulfill my promises! (laughs) Does that make sense? Because remember, all of those those players were involved in the drama, weren't they? They all had their own agendas. But the Father won in the end. (laughs) However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared 
for those who love Him. But God has revealed it to us by the Spirit. And if you read where he's quoting from there, he's quoting from Isaiah 64. Just to give you a context of what Isaiah 64 is about, it starts like this, Oh, Yahweh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. He's talking about the second coming. That the mountains would tremble before you. As when water boils and when twigs are burning. Something like that. Come down and make your name known to your enemies. The name of Yahweh and all of His covenant promises. Though there be a delay, wait for them because He shall come in the end and vindicate. But He's merciful and long-suffering towards the wicked in this age, so He's restraining from punishing them right now. But that's what He's saying there is come down and make the faithfulness of your name and every one of your covenant promises, come and make it known to your enemies as faithful, that you will triumph in the end, though they slander you in this age, though even, though men re- rebel against you and you're being long-suffering towards them, come down and make your name known. Vindicate your name. Fulfill the covenants. God, however, has revealed it to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, including my heart and your heart, my thoughts and your thoughts, even the deep things of God. And the deep things of God being, in this context, the things that have been hidden in His heart. The wisdom hidden in His heart, destined for our glory before time began. He's revealed those things to us. That the inheritance, the inheritance which is given through the fulfillment of the covenants, which which He fulfills in faithfulness to His own name. He's made the inheritance known to us by the Holy Spirit. And He's shown us that it's through the foolishness of the cross that we receive the inheritance. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom. You're not going to get this in the next academic journal. Okay? But the wisdom... That is taught, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. Spiritually, the word there means it's simply the word is I think it's pneumaticos. It just means of the Spirit. It's through the agency and the work of the Spirit these things are understood. That's all he's saying. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he might may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So basically, I'm going to just give you a nutshell with what he's saying here. We have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ. All of those things. The wisdom of God that were expressed on the cross. That's the mind of Christ, isn't it? That's the mind of Christ. What do you think the Spirit is going to lead us to do who lives in us? He's going to lead us to the cross because He's giving us the mind of who? The mind of Christ. And so, what He's saying here is that He teaches the Spirit within us, teaches us through spiritual words. What He, what he means there, I believe, based when you, when you read the rest of the book and other places in Paul's writings, what He's meaning there is that the Spirit has been written on our hearts and He's exerting influence on our consciences. We're hearing His voice. We're being moved by Him. We're being prompted by Him. We're being motivated by Him. Does that make sense? And so the question is, in each and every situation, the mind of Christ leads us to the cross. The Spirit of God leads us to the mind of Christ. So we have to ask God, what is the mind of Christ? How can I? How can the cross be put on display in each and every situation? That's what He means. Okay? And the rest of the book of Corinthians is Paul breaking that down for them. Here's what the cross means to be put on display when it comes to food. Okay? Remember that? uh, We can work through that later. But uh, here's what the cross means when, when somebody eats something that causes you to stumble. Are you going to restrain from eating it if it causes them to stumble? You need the mind of Christ to know that if I eat this food... It's going to cause them to stumble. So, because I want the cross to be put on display, I restrain from eating it. See what I'm saying? Yeah. That's and, and you have the the whole book is about things like that. Uh, lawsuits among unbelievers. In chapter six, he says, "You guys are bringing judgments against each other, and you're before unbelievers. 
Why not just be robbed? You don't have the mind of Christ that it's better for your brother to hurt you and you forgive him than for you to insist on your rights so much that you go outside of the church to the courts of unbelievers, bring your court case there, and the name of Christ is slandered because you're not even putting the cross on display. Okay, so he's giving them the mind. He's talking about these kinds of sexual immorality. There were some problems in the church in Corinth. <coughs> they needed the mind of Christ to recognize that the sexually immoral do not inherit the kingdom of God. And so he says, you need the mind of Christ that the power of the cross to crucify those evil desires is necessary. So therefore, submit to the crucifixion of the Holy Spirit and let him kill those things. They need the mind of Christ on how to apply the cross. Marriage. He talks about this also in 1 Corinthians. If you're married, if a woman is married to an unbelieving husband, if a believing husband is married to an unbelieving wife, if the unbeliever is willing to live with the believer, stay with them. Why? Ask the Holy Spirit to give you grace to know what the cross looks like in that situation. I have a question. When you were unbelievers, what did God do for you? Was He long-suffering and merciful with you or quick to destroy you? Right? So, wife, if you want wisdom to know how to put the cross on display if you're married to an unbeliever, the Holy Spirit's going to give you grace to make judgments about that. Stay with Him, and if He's willing to live with you, let Him see your life so that, who knows, maybe you'll win your husband as he sees your long-suffering and the cross put on display in your marriage. Okay? So he goes on to marriage, and he talks about the spiritual gifts. If you speak in tongues, if you prophesy, if you do evangelism, don't use your gifts to exalt yourself. What is the mind of Christ with the gifts? What's the cross? See what I'm saying? What does that look like? Do you add a little extra this and this and this so that people think you're anointed? Or are you actually thinking about the well-being of the person you're ministering to? Are you doing something on stage to actually draw glory and man's praise of yourself when you could do things a little bit differently instead of you calling out all the words in the audience why don't you have everybody start prophesying of each other? You take your place in hiddenness alongside somebody else and start praying for somebody else too. And now suddenly everybody's prophesying and you're not the stud prophesier all the time. What is the mind of Christ? For real people, we need to ask these kinds of questions. I don't know. I don't want to judge the motives of every man. The Lord knows. But I'm saying that that's the purpose of the Spirit. It's to lead us to the cross. It's to lead us to that place of self-denial. It's to lead us to the place of self-sacrifice. The place of hiddenness. Does that make sense? The wisdom of God and His Christ versus the wisdom of man and the devil. The Lord's Supper. (laughs) You had people coming in to the church in Corinth. They were hungry, so they would eat. And all the the poor people didn't get anything. So they I don't know all the dynamics there when you read in 1 Corinthians 11. But some people were not waiting for the others. And it was make it was causing a big mess and people were not feeling loved and they were not coming around the Lord's supper to celebrate and declare the Lord's death until they came. They were coming to get drunk and indulge themselves instead of thinking about the rest of the people. And if you want to know how intense the Lord was about this read 1 Corinthians 11. Let me I'm just going to read this. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 28, verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. He needs to see why he's doing what he's doing. Verse 29. For anyone who drink, eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. The body of the Lord broken on the cross. If you're taking the communion to celebrate the cross in a spirit that doesn't embody the cross, what is that called? Hypocrisy? It's not good, whatever you want to call it. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. That means died. That means died. That the cross 
The place where the cross was to be enshrined more than any other place. The very elements that celebrate the cross. It was not being lifted high. And the Lord was not going to let that happen. And so people were actually dying. We should tremble. People, this is not Barney. The dinosaur God we serve. This is the creator of the heavens and the earth. The judge of the earth. And he is serious about the cross of his son. Spiritual gifts. Orderly worship. And then we realize one of the reasons later on in chapter 15 that the cross is is not really being lifted high is because the resurrection also is not being lifted high as much, but we'll save that for another time. Let's go back to chapter two or chapter three. So, brothers, chapter three is the main the main thing I really want to get at, and, and just a few verses in chapter four as well. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food. And if you want to know what that means, go to read Hebrews 5, where the solid food is the teaching about righteousness, the word of righteousness. It's related to the cross in its context. For you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, remember James, jealousy and quarreling leads to what? Disorder and every evil practice. What is happening in the church in Corinth? Disorder and every evil practice. Are you not acting like mere men? <laughs> Don't you love that? You guys are acting like mere men. Verse 4. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. If God has given you a calling, don't be insecure because it's not the other man's calling. The other person's. Be faithful. The Lord is looking for faithfulness of heart more than He is about you having gifts that are valued more in the sight of men because they're more public or this or that or whatever. The mind games we play. At least the mind games I play. Nobody else plays mind games. Nobody else is insecure, right? (laughs) Comparing yourself always to others and... Oh, I wish I could only talk to them. Oh, I only wish I could read as many books as they've read. Oh, if I could only... uh, Finally, you're just like, I've got to go get a coffee or I'm going to go nuts. (laughs) And pray too. Crucifixion. For crucifixion. Verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's filled. God's building. Whose filled are they and whose building are they? They're God's. They're precious to Him. They're precious to Him. He values them. Remember the things that were motivating his heart in contrast to the things that were motivating the devil and the Pharisees and Herod and Pilate. Now listen to this, verse 10. So in light of the fact that these are gods, you are gods, you're precious to him. In light of that truth that you are his building, that he is a master builder, he cares about the shape you take, the things that motivate you, the things that you care about, the things you give your time to, in light of the way He's building you, His house, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. And what He means here is Jesus Christ, the tested and precious cornerstone. The foundation of Christ crucified. Paul resolved to know nothing else. Be careful. If you are sowing into people's lives in ways that are not in full accordance with the revelation of who God is in the cross, be careful. Be careful, is what he's saying. Be careful. Are you you just doing this so that you can have men follow you? Are you doing this to exalt yourself? Are you doing this to get money? Be careful how you're sowing into that foundation because God actually cares about them. 
He actually cares about them and is zealous for their destiny, zealous for their eternal inheritance. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Verse 12, If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, I tell you what, when fire comes, what happens to gold? It purifies. What happens to silver? What happens to straw? And wood? And hay? How would you like to stand before Jesus on the day of the Lord and know that somebody did not persevere to the end because you were not sowing Christ crucified in them? You were sowing something else. That's what he's saying here. And the reason he's saying this is because even in Corinth, people were sowing into this congregation things that were causing quarrels and divisiveness. And he's getting ready to, to, to really address this here. His work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. You sowed into them something that would last forever. My desire is for you to bear fruit, and fruit that lasts. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Okay? I don't want to be somebody there that I barely get through but the ten people God entrusted to me, they didn't make it because I was teaching them all about healing and this and this, all of these good things. But the man, he could do miracles, but he couldn't change his daughter's diaper. He couldn't lay his life down. He, guys, the Lord has confronted me. Son, get up and walk the baby to sleep this time. Oh God, I don't want to. I'm tired. Those little choices... It's the difference between a foundation that bears lasting fruit and a foundation that gets burned up when the, when the economy collapses. When, yes, when, when, the, when, when all of the pressures come. We want a foundation that's going to endure. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. You're sacred. God cares about you. His Spirit is in you. The only way that you get to be part of His kingdom is to die to self so the Spirit is going to kill you in good ways. Crucify everything that won't pass into the age to come. And if you've got people influencing your life that are taking you away from the Spirit's agenda, God is going to judge them in the day of the Lord. Verse verse 18. Do not deceive yourselves. If any one of you thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, by the standards of the devil and Man, if any of you thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he may become wise in God's sight. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about men. All things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future. All are yours. You are of Christ. Christ is of God. Chapter 4. So then men ought to regard us as servants of Christ, and as those entrusted with the mysteries of God. Now it is required. It's a trust. The mystery of the cross. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. 
He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. Are you living for the praise of men or the praise of God? Every one of us in this room, we're going to stand before the judge of the earth. He's going to expose before all the things that are motivating us. The things that are driving us. And He intentionally wants us to know this so that we'll tremble before Him. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. wisdom. The wisdom of God. The wisdom of Christ. Now, brothers, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos. I've just got a few more verses here and then we're going to close. I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, Do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not take pride in one man over against another. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? You boast in things when you think that you've earned them. When you think that you're entitled to them. Nobody is entitled to the gospel. So why are you living lives that are boasting in men that's not in accordance with the gospel? Okay? For who makes you different than from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it freely, why do you boast as though you didn't? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have become kings and that without us. You've entered the kingdom. You've received the inheritance. You've received the reward. While we apostles are getting the tar beat out of us every day. Do you see what he's saying here? He's lovingly rebuking them. You have become kings and that without us. How I wish that you really had become kings. What he means is how I really wish that Jesus had already come back and established his kingdom so that I could be kings with you guys. You guys are acting as if Jesus has already come back and established his kingdom. As as if you've already finished your race and you've already been counted worthy of inheriting it forever. You're not... He's just telling them to persevere. How I wish that you really had become kings so that we might be kings with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession. He's saying that the apostles were our example and our model. And they're thinking that they've already got the goods. But the apostles, who are their example and model, let's see what's happening to them. He's put us on display at the end of the procession, like men condemned to die in the arena. When the Romans would capture a city, they would take the captives and... They would drag them in, and those that were at the the end of the procession were those ones who were condemned to die. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to men. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We carry our cross, we die daily, while you guys go do a lot of... I'm sorry, I'm just not going to get into all that stuff. You guys are doing stuff that's opposite to that, okay? We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak. We're being crucified. We're being flogged in the synagogues. We're drowning. We're holding on to a plank at sea. But you, you guys are strong. You are honored. We are dishonored. You guys are building one another up and honoring each other all the time and patting each other on the back and giving the accolades while we are being cursed because we're actually carrying the cross And we're blessing instead. Jesus says, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, because in the same way they treated the false prophets who were before you. So you really need, we all need to have a few people that we're living our lives in ways that make people feel uncomfortable. (laughs) To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. Who does this sound like? Jesus! Christ crucified! Not the prosperity gospel! Not everything's going to go well for me! God's never going to discipline me! No, He disciplines us Because He loves us, Hebrews 12 says. I am not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. 
He says, my, my point in telling you all these tough things is not to make you just go out and feel bad and, you know, get into the cycle of self-condemnation, but it's to genuinely warn you. Jesus, the Messiah Himself, if anyone would come after Me, He must deny Himself daily. Carry His cross. Follow Me. For what good is it for a man if he gains the whole world, if he gains all the courses, all the homes, lands, properties, ships, nations, governments, status, influence. What good is it for a man if he gains the whole world? Yet forfeits his soul on the day of the Lord. He's part of the resurrection of the wicked, not the resurrection of the righteous. And he's cast into the lake of fire rather than inheriting an eternal kingdom. What good is it for a man if he gives it all now, but forfeits it then? For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory, in power and great glory with His angels. And He will reward each man according to His deeds. That's what He says. He's going to come back. What you do, why you do it, we're going to give an account. We need to fear and tremble. And not only fear and tremble, but thank Him that He's given us the resources in the Holy Spirit to die yourself daily, to lay down our lives, to say no to the porn, to say no to that those little self-promoting things, to say no to the things that just the enemy assaults us day and night and day and night. Choose me, choose me. We say, no, no, no. I will not choose you. Devil, you're going to the lake of fire. I choose the way of my Messiah. He says, I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. That's what he's saying. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. He's telling them, for this reason, I am sending to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. My name just happens to be Timothy. So I want to take this chance to remind myself and to remind all of us the only way forward is the path of the cross. The way forward is not a big signs and wonders ministry. Many will come to my name saying, Lord, Lord, did we not do what? Did we not prophesy in your name? Did you know that Judas Iscariot cast out demons in the name of Jesus? But what was he a slave to? To money. To mammon. He had not embraced his cross in the area of mammon. They gave him 30 shekels. He betrays the Lord of glory. Okay? Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, says, A storm is coming. Beloved, I prophesy to you that a storm, unlike anything the earth has ever seen, is coming. It's going to involve famines, earthquakes, wars, Rumors of wars. Great signs in the heavens. It's going to involve a man called the man of sin, the man of lawlessness, called the the Antichrist. All of the players involved in the wisdom of God, all of the players involved in the wisdom of the devil, the wisdom of men, it's all just like it was in Jesus' day when He was crucified. It's going to be involved in our own crucifixion. Will we love God like Job through the bad times as well as the good? If we don't have a foundation... In Messiah crucified, we will not have the grid we need for God to carry us through those temptations and those difficulties and those persecutions when they come. We must heed this warning. We must heed Paul's warning. His way of life, which agrees with everything he taught in every church. What was he teaching? I resolved to know nothing but what? So what happens to him? He is being crucified. The cross finds expression in so many different ways through persecution that comes when we take a stand. It comes through letting the Holy Spirit mortify the things like anger and rage and malice and all of those kinds of things. It comes from mutual submission. Husbands, love your wives. It's Christ loved the church. Put the cross on display in your marriage. Wives, love your husbands. Parents, love your children, serve them. Children, obey your parents. Put the cross on display the way you relate to your parents. Masters, the way you relate to your servants. Put the cross on display. Servants, the way you relate to masters. Put the cross on display. Cling to the cross. Cling to the cross. 
cling to the cross. Forget what's behind. Forget the past ministry success. Forget the past failures. Go forward. Go forward. Paul says, those who are mature in Christ, those who are mature in Christ, let them take this mind that they forget all that's behind. That they don't consider themselves yet to have taken hold of it. That they haven't actually entered the kingdom of God until Jesus has actually come back and they actually have a resurrected body and they're actually shining with a lot of angels around them. Don't get cocky. Don't get arrogant. We can fall from any level. No temptation has seized us except what is common to man. We must embrace the cross. We must embrace the cross. We must cry out for the Holy Spirit to lead us to the cross. So Father, in Jesus' name I pray that You would come. Come with Your power. Oh God, we ask You for grace. We ask You for grace. Lord, we renounce the wisdom of man and the wisdom of the devil. And we ask You, Father, for mercy. The mercy of the cross towards sinners and the wrath of the cross towards sin. Oh God, we recognize that You have had mercy on us and we ask You, O oh God, in Jesus' name, to lead us to the cross, to forsake everything that does not lead us to the cross. God, I ask You to raise up ministers of the cross, disciples of the cross. God, to love our families, to lay down our lives day by day by day. God, show us, Holy Spirit, give us judgments to how to put the cross on display in every situation of our lives, at work, at home, at school, God, show us how to embrace the wisdom of Messiah crucified and to hate the wisdom of the devil, to hate the wisdom of demons, to hate the wisdom of man. God, give us grace to love righteousness as you define it on your terms, as put on display at Calvary, and to hate wickedness, oh God. God, I ask you for mercy. God, I repent. I turn. I say, God, have mercy on me. Lord, I don't. God, I'm so quick to exalt myself. I'm so quick to live with my little love affairs with the praise of man. My little love affairs, Lord Jesus, with all the thoughts that I shouldn't be thinking. Oh God, I repent and I ask you, God, come with the cross, Holy Spirit. God, I pray right now in this room for the men and women that you have called for such a time as this to be representatives, not of the things that man values, but to be representatives of Messiah crucified. 